team or part of uh, what we do on a Sunday morning early uh, at 840. Uh, usually everything's done and we, we've been hanging out drinking coffee and stuff but we gather right back in here and, and we pick a song that we're that we usually play and uh, what we try to do is just get centered on who it is we're worshiping what, what it is we're doing here like why are we meeting here and the beauty th- the beautiful thing about this morning is uh you know, honestly, it, it doesn't matter who's here and who's not. Right? Like, we love you, and we're glad that you're here. Like, a lot of you are such critical parts of our family, and when you're not here, it hurts. But what's the most important thing is that God is present. And our job as Restore Church, our child, job here is to lift the banner high of Christ, that he he lived a perfect life. He died on our behalf, went to a tomb, and rose three days later. And so, man, I, I want to encourage you graduates. That's your job. That's your life calling. No matter what job you go into or career field, your job is to lift the banner high of Christ. And this morning, as we get into the scripture, man, it, it steps on my toes, John chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and try to find John 11. Maybe you've got your phone or your tablet um, whatever. We've got some volunteers in the back. that They'll pass out a Bible to you um, for you to follow along. Nice. Good work. Um, that was your public service announcement. This is a test. This is only a test. Uh, we just want to make sure you're awake and have your Bible. Um, all right, so, 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 hold on. I can fix this from here. All right, there we go. Won't happen again. Won't happen. We're good. Um, all my man wanted was some zucchini bread. That's all my man wanted, you know. It's good now. We got it. I can fix it up here. Reverse, reverse. Whoop. All right, we're back. John chapter 11 has to be probably my favorite, one of my most favorite chapters in all the Bible. And I think mainly because I connect so well with just about every character in it. Hey, uh, we just finished, wrapped up our series called Clickbait. We broke John, the book of John, up into three parts. The first part was, man, when you start following Jesus, it's fun. It really changes you. All of these new beginnings, these new ways of thinking, everything around you is changing. And the, be- the beginning of John was like that. It was like miracle after miracle after miracle. Feeding 5,000 people, you get to see that, you get to be part of that. That's pretty cool. But then at John 7, it starts to get really hard for the people following Jesus. Man, I, I got to tell you, following Jesus is hard. Uh, And so from John chapter 7 to 10, we we talked about just how difficult it is to follow Jesus in a world that offers you temporary solutions to your issues. And following Jesus is difficult, right? Amen? No? Okay. Maybe you're not doing it right. If it's not hard, you're probably just not doing it the right way. Um, So then, John the, the, the author John, the best friend of Jesus, Jesus had 12 disciples, right? 12 close followers. Of those 12, there were three that were we call his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. But of those three, there was one that was really special to him, 
And it's John, the author. Of, this was like his best friend writing a book about his life. Well, um, he spends the first 10 chapters of John, chase out, the first 10 chapters, this is important, first 10 chapters, talking about two years and 51 weeks of Jesus' ministry. From chapter 11 to chapter 21, John talks about the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus' best friend wants us to desperately know about the last week of Jesus' life. And that begins in John 11. But back up with me, just a couple verses in the John chapter 10. So we're going to start reading uh, verse 39. John 10, 39. It's the game. If you turn the game down, it'll stop whistling. Uh, John 10, verse 39. It says this, Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. When Jesus went back... Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. I'm going to catch you up to where we were in John chapter 10 last week. Remember, Jesus shows up to the festival of booths. Remember this? Um, His brothers were like, they were making fun of him. They're like, if you really are a person of the public, a key figure, why don't you show up down here and teach when all the Jews are around? Jesus like, nope, not my style. And then halfway through the festival, Jesus shows up. He starts teaching. He, he changes everything. He says, I'm the way to heaven. I'm the way to the Father. Well, for Jews, that's, that's blasphemous. That, that will get you killed. And so we find at the end of John 10 that they're really pursuing Jesus. And we just read that Jesus escapes their grasp. He tries to get away from them as they try to seize them. Man, they want Jesus bad. The Jews want to kill Jesus. The Pharisees uh, want to embarrass him. And we read that he escaped. Now I get it. Jesus is running. And if they're trying to get me, if they're trying to kill me, I'm going to run too. I'm going to trip you first, and then I'm going to run to see if they get you. We were like floating out there in the ocean last or yesterday at our beach day. Had a great time, and uh, we celebrated three baptisms yesterday, man. That was yeah, you can clap for that. That's, that's great, man. That was awesome. Um, we're floating out there, and that's the worst place to start talking about all the shark attacks that's been happening, right? But there's a couple of us out, and we're out there bobbing, and they were like, well, if a shark comes, I, I just have to be fast, a faster swimmer than you are. I'm like, that's a good point. I'm going to head on in. I'm going to go on, get some suntan lotion or sunscreen on or something, whatever, I'm going to get away from y'all, get a head start. You know, Jesus is running away from the people who are trying to kill him, and that makes sense. But I don't know if you step back to think about this, Jesus trying to escape. He's also running away from some people who desperately need him. While he's avoiding the conflict there in Jerusalem, it's almost like he's avoiding a lot of people who really desperately need Jesus. I mean, there are people in Jerusalem who are desperate for Jesus' touch. There are people that he's running away from who just need to hear kind and compassionate words. Jesus is running away from people who need his love. I mean, there are people in Jerusalem who haven't heard him teach or preach that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And and they're missing out on that because Jesus is running. Jesus is abandoning people who need to see the miraculous signs. Jesus is running away from the people who desperately, desperately, desperately need him. Have you ever felt like that? 
Like you ever felt like you just needed Jesus so bad, but he's running away? Maybe you ask the question, Jesus, where are you? I need you, but I feel like you're running away from me at an Olympic sprint pace. Jesus, I'm desperate for you, but I can't find you. (laughs) Maybe it's just me who's felt like that recently, but perhaps as you hold an ailing child in your hands, you think, Jesus, if only you were here. Maybe you lost a loved one way too early in life. If only you were here, Jesus. You just experienced yet another miscarriage. Jesus, where are you? Your life isn't exactly what you expected it to be at this point. Jesus, where were you? You and your spouse have finally decided that the best and most logical thing to do is divorce. Jesus, if only you were here. In the darkest part of your life, in the darkest corner, if only Jesus were there. And maybe if any of that rings a bell for you, or maybe if any of that speaks to you at all, you can watch Jesus show up in the life of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Now, you may already know the story of Lazarus, but don't jump ahead, okay? Let's read John 11 together. We'll start with, at verse 1. It says, uh, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother, Marth, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You know what's cool about this is you know that this was like John is not following Jesus, writing down his step for step, because she washes his hair in chapter 12. All right, so it's already assumed that everyone knows the story of Jesus when John writes it. And so in John 11, he says it's the same one who washes his hair, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but you're going to read about that in John uh, 12. Or, thir- yeah, John 12. All right, pick back up. Verse 3. So the sister sent word to Jesus, the one you love, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Uh, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. You know that song? If you don't, I'll record that that version of it later for you to play in your car on Spotify, only available on premium. We know that the Bible says that Jesus loves us. Uh, for God so loved the world, right? And, and we'll, we see that Jesus had compassion on people. At one point, he, he looks at Jerusalem and he weeps. I mean, we know that Jesus loved people, but very rarely in Scripture does it say that Jesus loves and then puts someone's name. Even John, Jesus' best friend who's writing this, uh, this book, right, this, this biography of Jesus, he calls himself, he never talks about himself, he never calls himself John the disciple, he calls himself the beloved one, the one Jesus loved. 
a little bit arrogant, and if you're Simon the Zealot, you might kick him in the knee every now and then and be like, if Jesus really loved you, he would have stopped me from kicking you. But um, John, the one Jesus loved, wants us to know very specifically that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. There's very few men in my life that I, when I hang up the phone or I talk to, I say, hey, I love you, man. And maybe, maybe, you're, maybe I've said those words to you, and I want you to know those don't come lightly. Now, men, we know for us to tell another man that we love them, it takes something, right? I mean, it shows a real intimate, uh, sorry, dudes, we don't use the word intimate. Uh, it shows authentic uh, um, re- relevant, I, I don't know. Uh, it shows a real relationship. And so we know that for Jesus and Lazarus, they shared a deep, deep relationship, so much that John recorded it here in his gospel. Now, look, I don't know what translation you have, but a lot of translations will have verse 5 Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus. And then verse 6 begins with yet. Now, in your translation, it, it might not be there, but in the original language, which the New Testament was written in Greek, in the original language, that verse begins with a contrast, yet. Which means we are putting two thoughts in contrast to each other. They don't fit. So look at verse 5. He loves, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Yet, verse 6, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed in, he stayed in this place for two more days. You ever dream about winning the lottery? Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you do. The first thing that you think about is making a donation to Restore Church. Appreciate you. Um, we'll only, if you win the lottery, look, just tithe, 10%. We'll be good with that. We don't need half, but the scripture does say that he becomes greater, you become less, so let the Holy Spirit work however he wants. If I win the lottery, I'll make a contribution to Restore Church. Uh, I'll pay off my student loans, and then with the $10 I have left, <laughs> uh, I might go to cookout. You might buy a house for you and your friends uh, all on the same street, maybe a couple boats, motorcycles, make sure everything is paid off, you know. I think about the same with Jesus. Uh, It's probably good I'm not Jesus. It's probably good that you're not Jesus. I mean, if I were Jesus, uh, my friends and family would never get sick. That'd be awesome. If I were Jesus, I would have fixed my air conditioning unit when I walked in from the beach already sweaty yesterday and it was broken. Uh, I would have fixed it just like that. It's good I'm not Jesus because if you cut me off, you will have a blown tire just like that, you know. And then I'll pull over and be like, hey, man, I'm going to help you. And then not. But it's all right because I'm, well, I can't lie. See, I would have screwed this whole thing up if I were Jesus. Yeah. Hey, don't laugh. You would have too, okay? All right. I already know what you're thinking. Because, never mind. It's a good thing I'm, I'm not Jesus. I, I want you to notice something. Jesus is allowing Lazarus to be sick. 
Jesus finds out that Lazarus is sick and he stays where he is for a couple more days so that God can be glorified through his son. Jesus is allowing Lazarus to be sick. Now, can you imagine what Lazarus is thinking? Lazarus is alone at night. Lazarus alone at night thinking, man, where's Jesus? I I thought he loved me. Where is he now? Like literally two chapters ago, Jesus spits in the dirt, makes mud, and heals a blind man. But he can't be here when his best friend is sick and dying. If he loves me, where is he? He can cure everyone else but not me. Where is he? Where is Jesus? And I'd imagine this morning as I'm talking about Lazarus, there's a lot of us who are experiencing those same kind of conversations in our own minds and in our own lives. Where is Jesus in my life? Never leave me or forsake me? Yeah, right. That's all he does. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? How would you describe your relationship with Jesus? Non-existent? Do you, is it empty or shallow? Maybe it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Maybe you feel abandoned. Your relationship with Jesus is maybe even artificial. Like it's just pretend. And you're just here... Because uh, you have to be. Because you want to make someone else happy or make someone else think something that's not true. And if those, descri- if those words describe your relationship with Jesus, watch the life of Lazarus. I really should say watch the death of Lazarus. Look at verse 7. And then Jesus said to his disciples, now let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Look, some of y'all are getting excited. This is not that kind of stone, all right? They want to throw stones at him and kill him. So chill out, which, anyway, verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he got, uh, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Look at verse 16. Hey, can we as a church decide that we're going to stop calling Thomas Doubting Thomas? Um, He might meet you outside the pearly gates and punch you for that one. Let's remember Thomas for this one. Check this out. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That's how I want to be remembered, not for my moments of doubt, but my moments of standing courageously for Jesus. Um, not only has Jesus allowed Lazarus to be sick, but Lazarus' disease is so bad that 
he dies. And some of us this morning, you're not only feeling spiritually sick, but you might feel spiritually dead. Like just drained or, or empty. Might as well be in the grave with Lazarus and continue asking the question, where's Jesus? Or we might say, if only Jesus were here. Again, imagine the last few moments with Lazarus. Not only is he sick, but it's gotten bad that he knows within the next few moments he's going to take his last breath and he's thinking, where is Jesus? If only Jesus were here. And maybe, I don't, you know, I don't know everything that's going on in your life, but you're thinking, dude, there's no way. Like if Jesus really loved me the way he says the Bible, or the way that the preacher man says the Bible says that Jesus loves me, then there's no way my life would be in shambles this bad. There's no way my marriage would be in such turmoil. There's no way that this addiction would have overtaken me if Jesus said, or Jesus was who he says he is, if he really loved me. If only Jesus were here, it'd be different. If only Jesus were real, my life would be worth it. If only Jesus were here. Watch this. Look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them the loss of their brother. When Martha heard the story, or when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Look at what Martha says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if only you'd been here. My brother would not have died, and I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. There was no such thing as first century mic drops, but if there were, you could hear it come off the page. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? If you have your own Bible and you highlight or underline, that question is worth it. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. In verse 21, did you hear what Martha asked or what she says to Jesus? If only you had been here. If only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Well, the truth of the matter is Lazarus did die. But Martha's faith is unwavering. Man, it, it, is, it is untouched. She's still standing there in front of Jesus. And she says, I know my brother will rise again in the last days. Now, this is that person in your life group that knows all the answers. Y'all know who I'm talking about and don't look right at them. I'm going to look down because some of y'all are in my life group. And, and Martha knows the answers. She knows the Bible study questions. She, she knows where the preacher's going before he even gets there. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know that person. Y'all know what's... Uh, man, y'all threw me off with all that pointing going on when I looked up. Um, but Jesus wants her to take the pages of Scripture, the pages that jump off all that information, and put real life to it. She's like, look. He says, no, it's not the resurrection at the end days. I am the resurrection. I am the life. The question is, 
do you believe it? Like, do you believe that Jesus has that power in your own life? That Jesus has the power to, to resurrect your life, to change your situation, to give you hope even though you haven't had it in decades or years or months or days or hours. I mean, we've seen him literally give sight to the blind, but maybe he needs to take the peelies or the, the, the I don't know what a peely is. What's a peely? I just said that. And he could take the peelies off your eyes. I don't know what that is. I was, I was thinking of filters. They're not even close to the same word. Don't even start with the same letter. Maybe he can take the filters off of your eyes so you can see people the same way he does. I mean, the Bible talks about him being the light in the darkness. And I know some of us in here, man, we've lived in darkness for far too long. But do you believe that Jesus can be the light in your situation? Do we believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? We'll get back to that question in a moment. I want you to notice one more thing. Jesus doesn't leave Martha and Mary alone. He shows up and he still cares for them in a, in a matter of, uh, in, a, in a time of need. Jesus brings comfort to those who, who needs comforting and he mourns with those who mourn. Let's keep reading. We'll skip a few verses and go down to verse 32. When Mary, Martha's sister, uh, reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she f- fell at his feet and said, check this out, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We just heard Martha say the same thing. You don't think they've been talking to each other? Asking the same question around the deathbed of their brother? And if only Jesus were here, this would be different. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, they replied. And everyone's favorite memory verse, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, you see how he loved them? But some of them said, they got kind of a point here in verse 30, 37. Some of them said, could not he who opened the, bl- the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And this isn't just this man. It's not just a random man. It's a man that Jesus loved. Mary and Martha had this in their mind. If only Jesus had been here. Jesus shows kind of the same emotions we all show at a graveside. Just let me see. Just take me there. Jesus weeps bitterly. Um, And we see that Lazarus has been dead for four days. I mean, Jesus has, by all intents and purposes, he's come up a day late and a dollar short. He's shown up too late. Maybe you feel like, let's put death on this side of the stage okay and on this side of the stage we'll put life and maybe you feel like you belong on this side of the stage maybe you feel like you're closer to spiritual death than you are to spiritual life maybe you can sympathize with Lazarus this morning you won out of this grave but you don't know where to find Jesus if only Jesus were real or here 
You're standing over here isolated, alone. Maybe you're standing over here hurt and betrayed, or maybe you're just confused and don't know where to go. You stand in spiritual death wishing and wanting for something to change. You want to be, be in spiritual life, but, but you just don't know how. We're going to go kind of quickly through the end of this, and I'm going to give you three, listen to this, simple, quick, but very difficult steps to take to move from spiritual death to life. I want to emphasize the difficult part. Uh, when I was seven, um, my, my sister and I, it was one of those long days of summer. And one of my sister's friends were over, and we were so bored that we came up with this crazy game. And it was called Lock, Lock Yourself in the Closet. <laughs> Seriously. This is how bored we were. We, we thought it would be cool. We were in the kitchen that we would go into the pantry, and someone would stay out, and then they would lock us in there, and we'd jiggle the handle, make sure it was locked, and then we would knock when we were ready to come out. Exhilarating game, I know. You could play it with your children later. <laughs> My dad was at work. We were waiting for him to get home. My mom was upstairs getting ready, and we blow. We have the fans in our house. We blow the fans all the time, not just when our air conditioners broke. We blow our fans all the time. Like we're, while we're sleeping, fans are going. Uh, when we're not home, the fans are running. Because I'm made out of money, and also because I want to pour into local electricity businesses. I'm just here for the community. Um, and so my mom, I learned that from my mom. I got that from her. And she's upstairs blow drying her big hair because that's what happened then. Everyone had big hair, you know. So she's blowing her hair and then has the fan blowing. So we're down here playing this really exhilarating game uh, of lock yourself in the, in, in the uh, pantry. And I, being the leader of this group, natural born leader, I think, you know what, let's take this up a notch. I'm tired of playing these little silly five-year-old, six-year-old games that you girls are playing. Let's take this up a notch. Let's all go in the closet. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. All right, let's do it. So we lock the door, pull the door shut in this, let me tell you, fully stocked pantry where there's plenty of food to eat. And we pull the door shut and it's fun until we want to get out. And the door's locked. And I'm like, you guys are idiots. How did you let us get into this situation? What are you doing, stupid girls? I'm never hanging out with you again. And then we freaked out. We panicked. We screamed. We cried. We're banging on the door. We're pulling down bags of chips off of the thing because obviously we're going to die in here. And um, we weren't smart enough to figure out we're fine. There are plenty of Oreos and ramen noodles in here to last us like 20 minutes. We're good. You know what scared us the most and what brought on that panic was being locked in dark and having no way out. It wasn't until my, literally, it wasn't until my dad got home from work that we got out of that closet. I believe now my parents knew and they just hung out for a while, but I didn't realize that until after I had kids. Verse 38, look, look, verse 38. Jesus once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb. And just stop right there. Jesus came to the tomb. For Lazarus to get out of that tomb, what had to have happened? Jesus had to show up. Hey, I don't want to be Captain Obvious here, but if you want to get out of spiritual death into spiritual life, you need Jesus. And you didn't come to church for me to tell you everything you already know. So let me just get to the point. You don't only need Jesus, you got to want Jesus. You know what I'm saying? 
you got to want to want Jesus. Do you remember the first question that Jesus asked Martha? She says, yeah, she knows all the answers. And then he says, do you believe this? I mean, she said yes, but just a couple verses later, she starts to question if Jesus is really going to be able to do this. And doesn't that some of our spiritual lives sometimes? We get in spiritual death, but I have this conversation with teens and adults now um, that sounds something like this. I want Jesus in my life. I, I want things to change. I need things to change. I want to follow God, but I can't. Or it sounds something like this. I want to get my life back on track with the Lord, but I just can't seem to do it. There's something wrong with my spiritual life. But you know what I've come to find out? And it's, it's more, more and more and more prominent. We want Jesus, but we don't want to change. Catch what I'm saying? We want to give our life to Jesus. Move into spiritual life sounds great, but I kind of like being selfish. You know, I kind of like the habits that have pulled me into this spot. I kind of like the drugs, man. It's it's Jesus I want, but it's it's here that I like to stay. I I like treating my wife like crap because it makes me feel better. I don't really care how she feels, but I feel better. But I want Jesus, and I want Jesus to make my marriage better. Look, it's all or nothing. It's not part of it. Matter of fact, one of my life verses is Zechariah chapter 29, verse 13. It says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your hearts. Not part of it. All of it. So if you want Jesus, you got to go for it. Let me ask you, when's the last time you sought after God, like really got it? Not just uh, at night, five minutes before bed. But like you sought God. Hey, put down the stupid stuff and seek Jesus. All right, let's move a little faster. John chapter 11, verse 38. Check this out. Um, It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. If you've got the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. TH. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? You see Martha questioning Jesus. Then I tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. All right, look, you, you see what happens here? Jesus is on the verge of doing something great for Lazarus. And he's doing something great on the verge of doing something great for the faith of all those who are watching. But he puts the future of Lazarus's life in the hands of other people. He doesn't ask Lazarus to move the stone away. And Jesus doesn't move the stone away himself. He asks others to move the stone. Look, you got to stop living your life in isolation. You got to stop trying to be a Christ follower by yourself. Because you can't do everything in this Christian life on your own. God never intended it to be that way. Um, I love being a part of the church. I especially love being a part of this church because we're all screwed up, man. Like we're broken and we're honest about it. We're not trying to hide it or trying to pretend anything or trying to protect anything. We're not trying to wear dirty clothes in here and then cover it up with like 
I mean spiritually. If you got dirty clothes on, I'm not. I'm not trying to. You know, that's fine. But um, we don't care how many nice clothes you wear or how much makeup you got on. We can never hide the fact that we're all sinners, and we need God and we need each other. Here's the thing: you gotta allow people to get close enough to you to tell you the truth. But you have to develop relationships where you're able to tell the truth also. Uh, Some of my closest friends have become our staff here. Uh, We meet every Monday, and a couple weeks ago we were having a great staff meeting, and we were going to get done early, which has never happened in the history of Restore Church. And we were on pace to to finish well, and we, we got some solid ideas working and all that stuff. And uh, this how we end our staff meetings by saying, are there any people that we need to be aware of? Anything's, anything going on in people's lives? Is there someone we can be praying for? Someone we can help? Something like that. So we finish up and we, we, come, we got a list of things to, to pray for. And then one of our staff members says, Roger, I think we need to pray for you. And I was like, appreciate you, love you, glad you're on this staff. You know, let's keep moving. And uh, I was like, all right, thanks. That would be great. <laughs> this is uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, we should pray for you too. I don't, I don't know how to respond. No, but she said, uh, dude, you're not okay. And you haven't been okay for a while. And we've noticed. And I was like, you want to know what's okay? It's going to be real okay when you get up and leave. Go, get out of here. I didn't say that. Uh, but... You know, um, for the last month and a half or so, maybe more than that, uh, that's really started me on a process of trying to be okay, Um, trying to get better. And you know where it starts is pursuing Jesus, but having people around you who will tell you. Do you have that? You know, I think it would be silly for Jesus to try to call Lazarus out of the grave and say, Lazarus, move your own stone. And he can't. You know, um, but he he asked his friends to do it. I I think for some of us in here, Jesus is trying to do all he can, and your friends are trying to do all you can. Right? Let's look at the next thing to get out of spiritual death. It's it's Jesus you need. It's it's others you need. All right, millennials, buckle up. I'm a millennial, so I can say that. All right? All you other haters on millennials, cool it. We're kind of... We're cool, and we're going to overtake the world in a couple minutes with our phones. Y'all are going to be left behind. Verse 41, then Jesus took up, looked up, and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Look, the last thing that you need to hear from Lazarus is that you have got to start taking responsibility for your own spiritual life. The church is here to love you and the church is here to help, help you, but the pastor can't, can't do everything for your spiritual life. Look, parents of teenagers... Sasha cannot be in charge of your children's spiritual life. Parents of kids who are in the village, it is not those teachers' responsibility for your children's spiritual life. At some point, we have got to start taking responsibility for our pursuit of Jesus. And so I got to just 
be completely honest. We need Jesus and we need others. But we need, we need to do it. We got to do it. We got to take responsibility for our own spiritual life. Jesus yells to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. This is not a question. It's not a, resp- it's not a request. It is a command to come out of the grave. If you want to be a Christ follower, you can't stand one foot in and one foot out. Okay? And you can't stand in here just saying, Jesus, come on. Like, Jesus has moved the tomb for you. He's shown up, and now he's saying, come out. He's got all your friends there saying, come on, let's go. We got to, dra- like, we're trying to drag you out, and you're like, one foot in. You can't do that. Like, it's up to you. If you don't want to come out of your spiritual grave, you will never come out of your spiritual grave. It's time to go find Jesus. It's... It's time to stop saying, Jesus, if only you were here. And he's standing right in front of you saying, come and find me. Seek me with all your heart. I'm right here. I think that's the truth that I need to hear this morning. That's the truth that that I need to preach back to me. Is that if we're going to allow God to love us, we got to take responsibility for ourselves. Uh, Someone told me recently that runners, when they, when they get to a point where they're about to go up a hill, they don't tell the runner to look up the hill at the end of the hill. They tell the runner to look down at their feet so they can go one step at a time. And eventually you'll conquer. And I think some of you, some of us, I say some of you, I mean some of me need to hear that we just got to take one step, one step, one step. Look at verse 44. It all comes together and we'll wrap up here. Verse 44 says this, Then the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, everyone present, Lazarus and his friends and his family, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I think it's time for you to take off your grave clothes and start to pursue Jesus. Take off the, the death and run after Christ because it's then that we come out of death and into life. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you that you pursued us first. God, we thank you that it's in you that we have life, that we have it to the full, and that we're able to pursue you with everything. Lord, for those of us in here who are hurting and and we feel far away from you, God, help us. Put people around us that will carry us to the finish line. Put people around us who will speak truth into our lives. But God, give us the humility to listen. God, we, we want to pursue you. Help us. Take away the distractions. Take away the the grave clothes, and give us new ones. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.